Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkoff, and this week I am coming to you from Tucson, Arizona, uh, so I'm a little bit closer to Corey Shockey, who is in <laughs> California, uh, with an eye on absolutely ghastly situation, um, uh, wildfires spreading uh, near and far near where she grew up. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and in Washington, D.C., in our special studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, we have two of our very favorites uh, that would be Ed Luce of the Financial Times, dressed as always in a tuxedo, looking exactly <laughs> like uh, James Bond, and David Sanger, um, a farmer from the foothills of Vermont, <laughs> just an overall unbuttoned on one side, holding a pitchfork. <laughs> I want- now that is the visual you have ever offered on this podcast that I'm happy about having. Yeah, Vermont Vermont Gothic. Unfortunately, Vermont Gothic these days usually involves heroin, but uh, we'll set that aside for a second because, believe it or not, even references like that do not live up to the strange, strange circumstances that we find ourselves in Washington, D.C., Last week, you may recall, we were discussing the fact that the Secretary of State of the United States uh, had referred to the president as a fucking moron. Uh, And the president uh, recently seems to have acknowledged that he heard of this and challenged the Secretary of State to an IQ test, um, which, you know, I think just the challenge alone suggests how that would turn out. Um, and then uh, Senator Bob Corker, a Republican, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, um, suggested that uh, the president was uh, sending the United States and perhaps the world in the direction of World War III, uh, and that he uh, was a child and that he was in, necess- in, in need of uh, daycare in the White House, uh, and that the people in the White House spent much of their time trying to um, control the president's outbursts and manage the president so he didn't create some kind of catastrophe. Now, interestingly, what was surprising about the Tillerson outburst and the Corker outburst was not that two of the most important people in the Republican Party and the government of the United States thought the president was in one way or another way unfit for the office, but that everybody knows this and it's just coming to light now. 
there I've ne- I have not spoken to a single person who thinks that Trump is mentally fit for the office he holds and everyone is terrified of what's going to happen um if he continues to melt down uh or melts down in some much worse way now that's a kind of a bold assertion and that's where I'd like to begin David Sanger you go cocktail party to cocktail party in Washington DC Ed Luce, you do the same. You guys are plugged in. You know everybody. They all know your favorite drinks. Is this an exaggeration? Are, don't, are there people who still think that Donald Trump is competent to be president of the United States? Well, David, David. first, I want to point out that when I go cocktail party to cocktail party, I'm still in my Vermont overalls <laughs> with the pitchfork can, tracking – Track. I can actually vouch for nearly that because I saw him at the Aspen Defense Forum in fishing gear. Well, that's true. That's true. That was that was in complete waders. But that looks – my waders are sort of my equivalent of Ed's tuxedo, OK? <laughs> <laughs> it's just he carries that, that sort of, you know, that great macho small gun and I carry a fishing rod because I'm a, a man <laughs> of the people. But when okay, I well, when, I, when all, I go first of all, let's just slow down, okay? We're not gonna your reference to Ed's small gun and your big fishing rod <laughs> not David, suitable. David, I don't need that visual. Uh, I'm rising. They're I'm rising above it, David. So should you. Edition of Deep State Radio. Um, so anyway, but, when we when 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 they get past ahead. when they when they get past my outfit in these right so. To your question, first of all, let's stop and think how remarkable it is to have the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, who is a very sober and understated guy. If anybody has ever spent any time with Senator Corker, he is not given to outbursts of any kind. He would seem to you to be sort of straight out of the establishment senatorial uh, cut. To go say what he said. Now, he was inflamed by the fact that the president had just issued the set of tweets about him. And what you missed in your uh, rundown was that uh, Senator Corker on Sunday morning tweeted back with more character than I think we have seen before um, that the White House had become an adult daycare center, a, a vague reference, speaking of vague references to uh, questions of whether or not the the president still had all of his faculties and then said someone must have missed the Sunday morning shift. So then our my, my great colleague Jonathan Martin gets Senator Corker on the phone that afternoon and he continues with the interview that you, you all saw. So remarkable that you have somebody from the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, the chairman, making this case. Remarkable that he is saying that he is concerned that the president could lead us into World War III. Makes you wonder what kind of briefings he's gotten in recent times on Korea or Iran or anything else where he may have seen plans that he was worried about. Uh, But also just makes you wonder whether or not he believes that the old Corker line, which was the president is surrounded by great talent, General Mattis, uh, Secretary Tillerson, H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor, and that he was counting on all of them to avoid the chaos, as he as he said, 
whether he now believes that that triumvirate is not enough to contain uh, President Trump, because that's the implication of his interview. Well, you know, Ed, one of the things that struck me in um, in this was that when Corker a couple of weeks ago announced he wasn't running, he also said that his he believed that perhaps his greatest period of public service would be in the months ahead. And in, in other words, it was clearly a foreshadowing. He, uh, you know, no, you know, people said, "Well, wonder what he means," you know, and 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 not clear what this is a reference to. But you know, as you see this behavior, it seems clear. Corker, you know, said, "Okay, politics is going to be a distraction. This issue is extremely serious." Um, but it raises a question, um, which goes back to my prior question: the the the, the sober head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee thinks the president, um, worthy of adult daycare, may be leading us to World War III. And and most of his colleagues aren't speaking of this. There is no action to constrain this president. Um, we seem to have, you know, some, you know, people with character like Corker now in the role of sort of play-by-play announcers the president hurtling towards some catastrophe and nobody with the spine and the leadership in the house, either the House or the Senate, to 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 rein it in. Yeah, so I, I agree with um, I agree with the premise of your question. I also agree with um, David's point that Bob Corker saying what he said um, is quite different. That the calm and historically very um, well passed in his language, Bob Corker saying is very different to John McCain. You know, with his um, sort of fairly trigger happy approach to public relationships, very different. And I also agree that. Uh, the conversations I've had indicate that most Republicans think exactly the same way, and Corker has probably thought the same way all along. Um, the question is whether Corker is going to be joined by other Republicans um, and whether the Republican Senate, uh, which is ultimately the place that can hold President Trump to account, the others, the Mattises and the Tillersons uh, and so forth, can curb the president's instincts, attempt to educate him, put their heads in their hands when he departs um, lethally off script, but they cannot hold him to account. Uh, the question is whether Corker's, you know, just a one-off or whether there are going to be more. And right now, uh, it's it's hard to say, but Corker is also on the budget committee. Uh, and if Trump doesn't get the tax bill through, uh, then I think there's going to be a lot more Republican um, questioning about whether it's worth it's worth following him and whether the whole show needs to be reconsidered than if he does get the tax bill through. And Corker but, 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 is a, but, fisc- but a, a genuine second, fiscal wait, conservative. But wait a second. There's no chance he's going to get the tax bill through. Well, there is even lower than no chance since Corker, uh, since Corker has declared independence. So he's got a two-vote margin and, and he managed to anger one of the – one of the two votes. But it actually, it's beyond that as well. Um, the president wants to get out from underneath the 90-day certification rules on Iran. Well, guess who wrote the 90-day certification rules on Iran? Corker did in an, in an effort to sort of keep 
uh, Barack Obama and what they assumed would be President Hillary Clinton have to go recertify this every 90 days and ended up uh, with Trump. If Rex Tillerson for some odd reason doesn't survive um, his IQ standoff uh, with the with the president and has to be replaced, guess who holds the hearings that will determine whether or not the president's nominee for the replacement uh, gets through? It's Bob Corker. So um, of all the people you want to go anger since he's leaving anyway, I just don't get this one. First of all, you do raise a wonderful possibility. The television show, Are You Smarter Than Donald Trump, could do great. Because <laughs> who wouldn't want to play that game? Um, you know, finally something everybody can win. But um, I think uh, you've just come up with the business plan for keeping deep state radio alive. Yeah, we're doing fine. We don't, we, I don't think we need to sink quite that low. But, you know, Corey, I, I'm so glad to be able to talk to you. First of all, I, I, I do want to say, you know, sort of publicly, I, the, the wildfire situation in California is awful. I know it is affecting where you are from and where you have a house. And we, obviously, our thoughts are with you. I think this is a, a ghastly situation. Uh, thank you, David. Um, yeah, I was on a plane coming home from Turkey when the fire department evacuated my neighborhood night before last. And I still can't get back to in to find out whether my house is standing. So... Uh, so, yeah, it's serious wildfires in the great state of California. I'm especially worried for folks in the community who've already lost their houses. Well, so are, so, so are we all, particularly since we are a country that does not seem to have the capacity to handle natural disasters. Um, and that, you know, that's not unrelated to where I wanted to go with this question. I mean, you look at Puerto Rico right now, 84 percent of the people still do not have um, electricity, about, uh, more than a third still do not have uh, drinking water, uh, something like uh, almost half of the banks in the country are closed. Um, that's a disaster. That would be dominating the news in another time. North Korea is a brewing uh, conflict of global scale, would be dominating the news at some other time. Uh, the Iran and the renewal of the JCPOA would be dominating the news at some other time. Um, uh, the fact that nine million children lost their health care might be dominating the news at some other time, or that uh, women uh, lost their right to, you know, get help buying birth control, or that the the president undid the most important regulatory step of the prior president on. Uh, on uh, climate change with uh, with uh, his power plant regulations, or in fact that the president in an interview with um, uh, Forbes online um, stated that his view is that he is not obligated to honor any agreement by any other president in history, which is consistent with some of his other views. And then on top of this, you've got this growing sense that the president is not competent. You've got a special counsel coming after this guy. Um, it feels different from anything I've ever experienced. It feels almost like the Twilight Zone. Can you think of any historical analogy um, from the U.S. Or, or, or any other period that you've studied that, it, that, 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 that resonates with this, that we can learn something from? Oh, 
Oh, David, thank you for pitching one slow and over the middle of the plate for me. (laughs) (laughs) I can think of several instances. Uh, In fact, virtually every president in the 20 years in the run-up to the American Civil War who lacked the political skills and the the legislative power to actually solve problems that need solving in this country. Um, And I realize that's an alarming comparison. Um, But what is so striking about so many of the examples that you mentioned, David, is all of them have a commonality and it connects back to what Ed and, and David were talking about, which is this president seems to have no capacity to identify policy goals to develop a political and legislative program to achieve them, and then to pay devoted attention to that until it's accomplished. I mean, I still think the best summary of the Trump administration was given by Ben Wittes, which is that their malevolence is being outrun by their incompetence. Because the president just doesn't, right? Like, as as Ed and David were saying, really? You're going to make an enemy of Bob Corker instead of letting him quietly um, head off into the night because he's not running for re-election? I, the, the only um, description of President Trump's behavior that makes sense to me is one of, of, complete lack of discipline to get things accomplished. He just kind of lashes out um, in every direction. You know, this morning, Puerto Rico, we're in what, week three now of Puerto Rico remaining underwater? And the president launches, you know, starts firing in every direction, but has no effort underway, near as I can tell, to help our fellow Americans in Puerto Rico dig out of this mess. It's really shocking. Before we leave the subject of Corker, though, I want to fire one round on that, which is, you know, uh, it's wonderful that Bob Corker's eyes are finally turned Zionward. But let us not forget that he was one of the early validators of candidate Trump. And at several points, Uh, snapped his fingers and said, Republicans need to get in line behind this president and his agenda. So before we make him a hero of the Republic, um, uh, let's see him actually, you know, do something about it. Well, this is is at the core of some of this, right? There are disgusting people out there who are senators and congressmen who have said, yes, the president's crazy. Yes, the people around the president are bad. Yes, the president's doing immense damage to the United States in a lot of areas, but I may be able to get my thing done if I just keep my mouth shut and see if I can play my cards right in this new Trump era, as opposed to fulfilling their obligations to the Constitution of the United States. Um, Yes, yes, I think that's right, that Republicans, right? Like, this is the time in which... This is an argument we have to win within our own party 
Um, and it is a once in a lifetime opportunity to define whether we are a political movement that has fundamental principles or not. And almost everybody's failing it right now. David, you know, one of the things that I admire about the New York Times is that you guys try to be, you know, very even keel and balanced. I know a lot of people say, oh, no, the Times is a left-wing group of maniacs and so forth. But I really felt, particularly last year during the presidential campaign, that you guys bent over backwards not to get overexcited by the Russia story, when in fact I felt the story was much greater than you than you guys were hinting at. Um, but I just wonder, to what extent is everybody somewhat complicit in bringing us to this point of, you know, almost Fellini-esque breakdown in 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 Washington and and putting us on the brink of of giant calamity. And by the way, while every single day smaller calamities happen, undoing that Obama rule on power plants, undoing women's coverage for birth control, undoing TPP, undoing or trying to undo NAFTA, uh, weakening NATO, dealing sowing the seeds of racism across our society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is corrosive. And I, I just wonder about this issue of treating it like it's something even remotely normal. Well, David, this is a constant source of discussion in newsrooms across the country and certainly in the Times newsroom as well. <clears throat> and I've always said um, I think it's extraordinarily important that journalists who are covering this administration not confuse themselves or confuse their role with becoming a part of the resistance. And I think it's absolutely critical to our understanding of what our job is and what our role is in the course of a constitutional democracy. And nothing would undercut the authority of major respected news organizations, whether it's the Times or the Post or the LA Times or the FT or any of the networks. Uh, more than going the route of seeming highly partisan. And certainly we are charged, you know, every day with people who say, well, you know, I read five negative Trump stories on page one and so forth. And of course, negative is in the eye of the beholder. But the main thing to remember about Donald Trump's presidency so far is he's doing exactly what he promised when he ran. If you weren't aware that he was going to roll back the environmental standards, if you weren't nice aware – if you weren't aware that he was going to roll back women's access to um, uh, both abortions and in, in this case uh, birth control, if you weren't aware that he was going to try to scrap the Iran uh, agreement, then you were living on a different planet during the 2016 campaign. And, I, and so I, I think that voters are getting exactly – well, this is, and we are letting this play out on on page one. On your on your one brief point on the on the uh, on the Russia case, um, here I think, uh, and, and forgive me for sounding overly defensive on this, um, we plead not guilty. We uh, laid out uh, as well as we could with the data that we were able to gather 
prior to the election when we did not know about much of the social media but we did know about many of these other cases. We laid out the intelligence case for Russian meddling pretty fully in more than a dozen stories that ran uh, – actually nearly two dozen stories that ran prior to the election and then of course our big reconstruction of the Russia hack that ran in, in December. OK. I you know, I have – despite our joking on this show and everywhere else regu you know, regularly, I have the highest regard for you and your judgment and I know what you're trying to get at and I know what your colleagues at The Times are trying to get at. Um, what I worry about, Ed, is that in the interests of not sounding like part of the resistance, one doesn't cover the story fully enough. Uh, one is not alarmed or one lets things go or, you know, one uh, tries to frame things in a way that is not as extreme as they really are. The, the way establishments get become vehicles for um, dangerous figures is by normalizing those dangerous figures. And 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 by holding back where one shouldn't necessarily hold back, um, and we, and we're now in a we're in a place America hasn't been in. And by the way, I say this as somebody who sometimes writes books of history and know that Ronald Reagan was out of it for a couple of years, and that Richard Nixon approaching Watergate was drunk and out of it and dangerous for a couple of years. So that three out of our past seven presidents have had periods where they were kind of out of it. I know that there have been extremists in Washington for some time and opportunists for Washington in some time, but there has never been this kind of combination of personal corruption, family corruption, uh, corrupt values. You know, in this Harvey Weinstein week, we have a guy who is a serial sexual predator who's been accused 15 times of abusing women, uh, at, who is undermining foreign policy, domestic policy fomenting racism, supporting white supremacists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and somehow we're like, you know, yeah, this is, uh, you know, we're, we'll just, you know, we're, this is, this is, you know, more, more of the same and we're going to sort of cover it as more of the same. So it's an interesting question and it sparked a, 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 an obvious thought that, you know, are, are the uh, Republican senators and congressmen whose character is clearly lacking at this point uh, any different to the producers and writers and actors in Hollywood? who clearly weren't coming forward about um, Harvey Weinstein when they knew full well what the guy was up to. And I think, you know, most people, particularly in towns where success is rated highly, as it is in Washington, as it is in L.A., most people are unfortunately not paragons of moral virtue. Um, the question about the media, are we being too... Um, uh, prone to false equivalents or um, to censoring ourselves to basically acclimatizing the establishment to Trump. I don't think that's my, that's not my concern. Um, I think for the most part, the media, particularly, you know, the print media is doing a, a pretty good job of chronicling uh, what you, you very rightly call the sort of Fellini-esque um, uh, quality of Washington, D.C. under Donald Trump. My concern is that not enough people read and believe what the media is chronicling. Um, now, we, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a, a very important debate about Facebook, Google and others and their enablement of, of the dissemination of all kinds of fake news, sometimes foreign funded, Russian funded, 
Um, and the remedies that are being suggested to this remind me a little bit about the war on drugs. Where our, our response then um, was to attack the supply of drugs rather than look at the demand for them. And I, and I feel there's a similar sort of parallel here with fake news is that we need to focus more on why it is people are believing this stuff. Uh, why it is there is a demand for you know believing Pope Francis you know endorsed endorsed Donald Trump? What 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 is it about our education system and our society that um, creates demand for this kind of patent nonsense? And I don't believe that we're really addressing that. We could shut down. I'm presuming presumably this would be against the First Amendment, but we could shut down or in some way penalize Sputnik and RT. Uh, and, you know, various sort of um, Russian trolls and bots that are poisoning our debate. Um, but uh, uh, until we realize that most of the stuff is coming from here and the demand for it is from here, I think I think we're just going to be scapegoating. Uh, uh, um, uh, we're going to be we're going to be downplaying the problem. The problem is much deeper than that. Well, I agree. The problem is much deeper than that. You don't get here. You don't get to a man in this position of power with people around him and those positions of power um, with all the controls we've got in place unless the problem is systemic. And it, I think the analogy with the, the Hollywood situation, Harvey Weinstein, is exactly correct. The reality is that that is a system set up by men for men to give privileges to men in power that does not really tolerate attacking those men in power, where they protect themselves with their silence, where many of the women afraid of the men in power protect them with their silence, where the media covering this thing, all of whom have known about it for decades, protect the people in power. And all of a sudden, you get this moral drift. Um, and in our political system, the same thing has happened where the Republican Party has paid off certain groups, whether it's Wall Street or the 1% or uh, the NRA or uh, uh, evangelical Christians by saying, we're going to give you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And yes, there's going to be some things in here you don't like, but so long as you get your piece of cake, so long as you get your slice of the pie – you know, go along with this. And all of a sudden, somebody comes along who says, yeah, I can play that formula. I'm going to use those things. Um, but I'm going to end up in a completely different place. And so, I, you know, this is an indictment of the establishment. And the establishment includes those in power, whether in government or in the media or something else. Or no, Corey, am I completely wrong? Uh, well, this is your chance, Corey, to say, David, you're completely wrong. <laughs> David, you are completely wrong. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> no, you are not completely wrong, but I, I have a different analysis than you do. And I do think it's unfair uh, that only the Republican Party of our two major political parties came in for indictment on that count. Although you did say it's a more general indictment of the establishment. And I, and I did I, not intend it to be partisan. I think the Democrats bear just as much responsibility. Excellent. That's Although an excellent I think the Republican, party, um, the, the Republican uh, party has taken us to a particularly awful place. Yes, by by making Trump our candidate and and getting him elected. 
So, so I agree with that piece. I, I have a more hopeful interpretation of it, though, um, which is that this is what the American political system looks like when it's working, right? Like the political party leadership, in my judgment, on both sides of the line, have drifted to, to strident places right, like Republicans on tax reform and overturning Obamacare, that, you know, the, the party leadership has gone to a place of strident um, doctrinal views that may be, that may represent the actual positions of the base, but are inadequate for building a broad political coalition. And I do think this election has served to identify some of the big problems that people are really worried the government's not addressing, right? The incapacity to pass legislation. We've been under sequestration uh, top line limits for nine years now. Uh, the Congress hasn't passed a budget. Um, people whose jobs are going away, people whose professions are going away, because of the rapid innovation in technology, are really scared about where this takes us and feel like their lives are on a dead end, their children's lives are going to be worse than theirs. Um, nobody in either political party has addressed those people's concerns before Trump. Now, I don't think Trump either has the capacity to offer solutions or is offering solutions that are going to address people's problems, but he was a great big loud roar. Um, by the way, I love the deep state nerd who recognized uh, and tweeted out that my comment about the barbaric yop over the rooftops of the world was from Walt Whitman. So thank you for being such fantastic nerds, deep state radio. Um, I Let me conclude by just saying that I actually don't think our political system is incapable of solving these problems. We always seem to think that democracy has silted up and we're newly incapable of addressing these challenges. But the great thing about our democratic system is that people are gonna turn keys in the locks and figure out how to get elected by offering solutions. Can I can I say something here? Um, a mild and very uh, rare and uncharacteristic um, disagreement with Corey. Uh, I think that the Republicans didn't suddenly produce Trump. I think the system wasn't working because uniquely so, one party, uh, when a, a president from the opposing party was elected, namely Barack Obama and the Republicans, one party chose to oppose anything he did, even if it was something they supported beforehand. And that changed, that really parliamentarized a system um, that wasn't uh, that isn't designed to be parliamentary, and I think that Trump isn't the first president to address, you know, the concerns of ordinary left behind Americans who fear that their children will be worse off than they are. I, I think to be fair to Obama, he proposed a lot of things, like early childhood learning, like um, bigger infrastructure spending. Um, like a reform of the tax system that were opposed not on grounds of principle, but on grounds of ensuring he failed come what may. And I don't think your system's designed to work like that. And I do believe if, if Republicans were all like you, Corey, that wouldn't have happened. But I do believe the Republican Party bears 
a great deal more responsibility for the situation we're in today than the Democratic Party. And an unwillingness to, uh, at this point, to cope with the question of whether as they head toward 2020, do they want to go run a, uh, a mainstream Republican candidate and separate themselves from Trump or is he creating a new party around himself, which some believe? And the real cynics about Bob Corker believe that in fact his plan is to leave the Senate in 2018, run for president as that establishment uh, candidate in 2020 and hire Corey Shockey as his national security advisor. <laughs> well, look, you know, I, I think whether Corker runs... Uh, thank you runs, for that vote of confidence, David Sanger. Hey, whether listen, Cor- just just be sure that if you get that job, that Ed and I are first on your list for leaked documents, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and re- rest... On my list for leaders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that's 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 because, of course, Corey, as as a honorable public servant, has no list for leaked documents. But that is uh, also true. Uh, <laughs> but we would be first on it if she had one. Right. But, but it would make but, her choose between tuxedos and 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 fishing waders. <laughs> um. First of all, I I I, I agree with. Ed's point. I, I think Democratic Party has done some things wrong. Uh, I think the Republican Party is not the same as the Democratic Party, and I think it's done more things wrong in more ways, some of them particularly egregious. But I wonder, you know, sometimes how history is going to look at all of this and how it's going to explain it all. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I, I recognize even listening to the three of you that I am the least sanguine about this situation, even if all three of you are quite deeply concerned about it, I'm, 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 I think I'm more concerned than you are. I think it's more aberrant. I think it's more dangerous. Um, but I guess the, 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 the final question that I'd like to pose on this in this particular episode has to do with how history might look back at all of this. And one of the things that strikes me in listening to you is that Trump is actually, you know, kind of an extrapolation not of Republican ideology or or extremist ideology or his own track record or recent history, um, but actually an extrapolation of a you know kind of perfect storm of what's been going wrong in American politics and leadership and policy over the past few years. So, you know, on trade policy, he's with the far left and the far right in a kind of isolationist view. And on foreign policy, he's aligned in many cases with Barack Obama with a kind of an approach towards disengagement that's not the approach that we've taken historically in the past. And obviously, he picks up on some of the code language, values, politics of the extremes in the Republican Party since the Tea Party movement and the Gingrich revolution back in the back in the 90s, that which even traces its roots back to Reagan in some respects. Um, and, you know, in terms of values, whether it's the, you know, the his his role as a sexual predator or his kind of venality or his 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 sort of reality television show, um, outlook on the world. He's tracking with 
American popular culture over the course of the past 20 or 30 years. And that, you know, it may be that the thing that's distinguishing about Trump is that most presidents have a few of the bad traits of their era, and he has all of them. That he is kind of the vehicle for everything that's gone wrong on the right and on the left and in the center and in popular culture um, uh, in, in, in a really kind of extraordinary way. Um, and I'm just, I throw it out there. Corey, you, you, you take that first. Uh, well, uh, as you know, I am serenely unrepentant of, uh, the views I have held, uh, for the last two years about Donald Trump and the damage he will do to Republicans. Um, I'm not sure I'm as apocalyptic as you are, David, because I actually, um, think American culture is always in decline and yet somehow, that is also the path to democratization and accessibility of culture. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm less worried about long-term damage than you are both culturally and politically. Politically, what I believe is that, uh, you know, the founding fathers had a very grisly imagination for what was possible in mob violence for what was possible in demagogues and built extraordinarily sturdy institutions and checks and balances. And they look to me to be working very well in this great test for our country. Um, and Donald Trump would have to up his game rather substantially to be able to actually be anything other than you know, a paragraph in history books a hundred years from now about there was this weird time when America ruled the world, had almost every conceivable advantage available to it, um, and made a series of really stupid choices that compromised a lot of those advantages and took them some time to dig their way out of that hole. Okay. Well, look, we've run out of time for this episode. I think we should continue it. I think we need, obviously, to focus on the consequences for foreign policy, and we'll do that uh, in our next episode this week. I want everybody to join me in thanking, once again, Corey Shockey, David Sanger, Edward Luce, uh, and we'll see you again real soon here at Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.